Good evening. No, this is not the view. Welcome to Colorado Inside Out, PBS 12's weekly roundtable that looks at events in Denver and further afield. I'm Patty Calhoun, the editor of Westward, moving over from my usual chair to guest host the show for Ellie Neff, who's taken over as executive producer while the search is on for a real permanent host. Let's dive right in. The gubernatorial primary is quickly approaching. And candidates' campaigns are heating up. Governor Jared Polis will face one of two determined challengers in the election, Republican Greg Lopez, former mayor of Parker, and Republican Heidi Ganahl, at-large board member of the University of Colorado. Republicans are hoping Biden's popularity drop will aid in their first gubernatorial victory since former Governor Bill Owens. Bringing uncommon wisdom to that chair, Marianne Goodland, chief political reporter for the Colorado for Colorado politics. Marianne, you cover state, you cover the country. What do you see happening here? What I'm seeing right now is is yes, uh, tying the Governor Polis to the policies of President Biden is a strategy that Republicans are employing right now. They're very, very interested in that. But on the flip side, I'm also seeing a lot of uh, lack of donor enthusiasm for this race. I took a, a look the other day at where Walker Stapleton was at this point in 2018 with an open gubernatorial seat. He had three other competitors in the primary, including Greg Lopez. And at that point, he had raised uh, about $1.7 million. Ganahl has raised less than 60% of that, and she's the front runner in terms of the fundraising. Now, this week we also saw Lopez bringing in an idea of striking one person, one vote to allow for uh, rural votes to get more attention. And uh, it's an interesting idea, albeit very unconstitutional, but it's certainly a way of raising his, his visibility in rural Colorado. And, and I know that this will, this will play well with rural Republicans. Well, we're sticking with one woman, one opinion at this table. So Michelle Ling, CEO of Novatis Communications, where do you see the governor's race going? So I think this is a really interesting year. Jared Polis is certainly going to be a formidable candidate for whomever emerges from the Republican primary. Um, how well Republicans do this year will really depend on message discipline. And <clears throat> Democrats really want to make this about Roe versus Wade. And a recent poll out from 538.com showed that abortion is the fifth uh, from the bottom of 20 issues that Americans think is most important. Below that are only unemployment, and we all know that there's really no unemployment. We're all begging for excuse me, employees and natural disasters. Um, inflation was the top issue. It's going to be the top issue this election, and and I agree. And I don't know where this eight to nine percent inflation rate is coming from. I found a receipt. I'm a, a paper hoarder. I found a receipt from a year ago, and. <clears throat> Um, my eggs, my milk, they're 30 to 40 percent more expensive. My gas, everyone knows, is probably double. Um, these are annoying for me. They're really devastating for people who are just scraping by. Um, so Republicans can win on these issues, but only if they don't allow the conversation to become about um, other social issues. Um, again, the, the 538 study showed that 4 percent of people, only 4 percent of people think this is a major issue. And so they can win up and down the ballot if they focus on kitchen table issues. And at our table, Denise Mays, <laughs> Solutions for Public Policy Specialist. What do, what do you see happening in this election? Well, look, I, I think it's Governor Polis's to lose, frankly. I, I really don't see 
any alignment between um, him and uh, President Biden. So I think attempts to um, to make them analogous or similar in any way, shape, or form is a losing game. I think that the Republicans have more to gain if they instead, um, as Michelle mentioned, stick to the kitchen table issues because the similarities are there. They're far and few between, and so it's Governor Polis's to lose. And I mean, exactly. And I and I think to Marianne's point about what uh, Greg Lopez is trying to do is he sees it. He sees that he is not a, a winning candidate, and so he's trying to figure out what the message is, what that might get him some of the some of the voter enthusiasm. But um, I, I I don't see Governor Polis losing this election. And joining us, Bianca Emerson, CEO of Political Director. Do you see any way Polis is going to lose this? No, not at all. And I agree with Denise. Um, Polis is very popular. He's very popular with Democrats as well as independents. And that's going to be very key. But I don't think that we should discount those individuals who showed up in 2020 and showed up for Biden. I think that we can arguably suggest that they showed up as an anti-Trump uh, vote. Um, they didn't want to continue to uh, play into QAnon and MAGA propagandized um, talking points from from the right, and I think that those people can also show up and will show up for for uh, Governor Polis. Um, and let's not forget he was he was the top he was at the top of the ticket in 2008, and he helped to usher in that blue wave that we experienced. So I think that hopefully, um, of course, four years later we'll be able to see that with um, a win for Governor Polis. But first, we've got the primary coming up June 28th, so we'll be talking about that again. But just over is the 2022 legislative session, and both sides have been pushing a continued emphasis on affordability. During the session, they approved changes involving decrease in the rise of property taxes, early Tabor refunds, and breaks in taxes and fees for businesses. Michelle, how do you see that playing out in this state? You know, I just think it's incredibly disingenuous for Democrats to all of a sudden be concerned about affordability. Um, <laughs> you know, we um, I've personally fought back against tax increases uh, from the, the left. Um, and I also feel like this legislative session, were we in the same legislative session? Uh, because what I saw was increased fees on packaged goods, which could re raise prices um, for food and other consumer goods, three to four percent. Um, they Democrats also introduced rent control, um, which would be a disaster for the housing market. Um, you know, Republicans have always been about affordability, um, but I think poll numbers are really what's driving this. Denise, is it polls or is it real philosophy? Oh, it's probably a little of both would be my guess. And, um, you know, it's sort of interesting, but I think this is one of the times where there was actual bipartisanship. Let's defer some fines and fees. And, you know, even though Michelle speaks to, hey, Republicans have always been about affordability, you know, yes and no. Some areas, yes. Some areas, not so much. You saw Democrats carrying a lot of issues around affordable housing, affordable, uh, making more behavioral health care available and affordable, trying to expand Medicaid coverage for individuals that don't have it now. So that is a lot of affordability. And I think philosophically, it's things that Democrats have always believed in. And I think that um, because uh, both parties see some winning issues on these 
on these matters in particular, there was a lot of bipartisan support. And I don't, I'm not going to sing the song or even try to, but remember that Governor Polis's State of the State, he said, hey, how many ways can I save people money? And he's saying it. I'm not going to do that for you. I won't, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll keep you away from that. But look, I think that was, that was the whole point. It's an election year. It's philosophical. It's polls. It's a winning strategy, no matter which side of the party you're, you're with. Yes, no singing at this table. So, Bianca, do you feel like you've had money saved by this session? No, but I do think that this legislation was in response to the pandemic because I think families as well as businesses are still trying to dig themselves out of a hole. So I think, uh, to Denise's point, I think it's a win-win for both the Republicans and the, and the Democrats. And I think that um, we should be happy that they were able to come together and agree on uh, things that are going to help businesses as well as families move forward, especially with the, the issues with, with inflation and prices going up, as Michelle was alluding to. I think this is just a win-win for everyone. Marianne, you see all the press releases with every single bill was how it saved you money. Are we really going to be saving money this year? No. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll be... The, the, the Democrats' message, and, and, and that includes the governor, on, on affordability was a very, very mixed message this year. On one hand, they said, we're going to save you money by not increasing uh, gas taxes. That's two cents. At the same time, you're going to see increases in your Uber, your Lyft, your Amazon delivery, because the bill that they passed last year is still going to go into effect. The gas tax, which was part of the same bill, that will be going up after the election. And, and to Michelle's point about it being something of a cynical ploy, that I will tell you that was the immediate reaction by a lot of people in the Capitol, including the press corps, that, that it was like, wow, really? And this is uh, to the Tabor refund. Democrats have, for a very long time, uh, denounced Tabor, but all of a sudden they're, they're moving up a Tabor refund from April to September, just as the big campaign ads are about to come out uh, for the governor, for legislative Democrats, for Senator Bennett. So, you know, it's, it's really a mixed message. Yes, there's going to be some, some decreases, but there's going to be a lot of increases as well. So watch, watch your wallet. Yes, somewhere Doug Bruce is laughing. The city of Denver is facing another lawsuit revolving around the 2020 George Floyd protests. A new group of protesters claimed they, too, faced excessive force in violation of constitutional rights. A recent lawsuit regarding the protests ended with a verdict in the, for the protesters' favor, granting them $14 million. Denise, where do you see this going for the city of Denver? <laughs> Look, I, I can't see it going well for the city of Denver. I, you know, now, look, you, you, do, you do have a different jury. You have different plaintiffs. You have different lawyers, at least on the side of the plaintiffs. But you know what? You have the same defendants. You have the same tactics that were questioned uh, in the first jury trial. They're going to be the same ones here. And yet, at the same time, you have a chief of police, Paul Pazin, who really hasn't changed uh, tactics in his communications on any of this. You have a mayor that has been essentially silent, hasn't come out with any apologies or any sort of um, statement suggesting that, they're, that, that he's going to direct his chief of police to do things any differently. So I really, I really cannot see a different outcome for Denver, which, frankly, I find extremely shameful and, and disgraceful. There are more lawsuits in the works. There have been estimates of a lot of big judgments coming. 
What do you see happening, Bianca? Well, you know, this is just not good for the city of Denver, and it's definitely not good for the local police department. And I think, really, if we look at the whole overall lawsuit, these people were out exercising their First Amendment right. So what does this say for other people who are interested in going out and protesting? Is this uh, an attack on our constitutional right to express ourselves in that way? Um, and I just think that it's really horrible. We have these... Police officers also have to be held accountable for this. And it's actually, the allegations are extremely egregious. And I think Denise can probably speak more to this, but I, I believe the ACLU said that this is the first case in the nation to even go to trial. So this is not... This is not looking good for the city of Denver. Um, but I, I really want these police officers to be held accountable, and hopefully the city will learn a lesson to make sure that we are holding these police officers accountable so we don't continue to see these lawsuits coming up. Well, Marianne, you've been at the legislature, too, when they were talking about being able to hold police officers personally accountable. What do you see happening in this case? This is, I think, the 15th lawsuit that's been filed on the uh, protests and George Floyd. Um, more than likely, it'll be the last one because the statute of limitations runs out uh, at the end of next week. I, I kind of wonder if the city is holding out to get through all these lawsuits and then think about what kind of changes they would make in, in their policies in order to prevent this same sort of situation. But it doesn't look likely. Uh, it looks like they're going to hold out on this. And if it's business as usual, it's a bad look for Denver. Michelle, can Denver overcome this? You know, I think this is a problem everywhere. Police brutality, you know, inappropriate police actions are never okay. Um, and I think this is something where police need to have additional training. We have to hold them accountable. We've lost trust, and I'll hit on this later, um, in our public institutions. And I think they're a front line of that. You know. Um, that said, on the other hand, it's, you know, easy to downplay a lot of the chaos and the destruction that happened in 2020. I had to call my insurance agent at 11 p.m. and ask if we had um, insurance on, um, civil unrest insurance on my building because they were burning things a couple blocks away. Um, I'm a small business. Uh, we did not. That is a special writer you have to have. Uh, people don't know that. Um, and, you know, buildings were burned. Small businesses were forced out of business. So $14 million to me is a lot. Um, I'm not trying to marginalize the pain and suffering that they experienced. Um, what I'd actually kind of like to see, I, I would like to challenge the people who receive these settlements to donate that money to rebuilding the small businesses who are harmed, or perhaps, as long as they're not using it for medical expenses, or perhaps rebuild um, some of the communities that were, um, were damaged or destroyed. Um, and, and then, too, I'd also like to see some of that money go to finding ways to, to tra better train police to handle these really um, outrageous situations. There is one thing I want to point out. I said $14 million was a lot. George Floyd's family only received $20 million, only received $20 million for his death. So if now if we have two lawsuits relating to this, that's more than, you know, that's $28 million, two $14 million lawsuits. I mean... It just seems like that, that George Floyd's, Floyd's family should be the ones um, who are remunerated instead of protesters. Well, although arguably you would hope police forces would learn something from that. We have so. a little extra time. I'm going to ask Denise to address what Bianca brought up. So this was the first case that went across the country? Yes. Uh, as a, it was the first case uh, that, that the genesis of which was, uh, were the George Floyd protests, indeed. Well, it certainly set quite a precedent.
So, oh, speaking of precedents, you can't beat this. The Mesa County District Attorney's Office has debunked the accusations of 2020 voter fraud made by County Clerk Tina Peters. Meanwhile, Peters remains under indictment for all for, un, for allowing unauthorized parties access to the Mesa County voting system, resulting in a, leave of, a leak of sensitive information. Bianca, we've been talking about her before. We'll be talking about her again, but what do you think of the latest? Oh, <laughs> well, I just think that Peters, um, unfortunately, is a disgrace, and everything that she stands for is... Um, is an attack on our democracy. Uh, to your point that you read earlier, she leaked infor sensitive information online, which could, you know, bring several vulnerabilities to our elections in the future. And then under her watch, she lied about um, uh, election fraud. And then this person wants to be the secretary of state. That's a problem. That's an issue. And again, we'll talk about this later, where primaries are coming up. We need to make sure that our elections are taken care of and someone with integrity is leading that process. And I don't think Tina has that process. At, uh, she doesn't have integrity at all. But she does have traffic. Marianne, you write about Tina a lot. <laughs> I do. What do you see in this latest? Uh, it's funny that uh, Dan Rubenstein, who is a Republican district attorney in Mesa County, he's also the person who obtained the indictments against Tina Peters related to uh, some of these issues that have been mentioned. Uh, Peters just uh, has not learned the law of holes. It's one of my favorites. When you're in a hole, <laughs> stop digging. And she keeps digging. Uh, last week was a perfect e example. Uh, the Ethics Commission accepted the third complaint against her, and this is related to the Mike Lindell Legal uh, Fund. Uh, she claimed that she didn't know how much Lindell put into it. Lindell himself doesn't seem to know how much he put into it. Um, and the Ethics Commission not only accepted that complaint and they're moving forward on it, the second complaint that they accepted, which was on the legal defense fund that she set up, which she has now closed because she faced massive fines tied to it, uh, she has stopped cooperating with the Ethics Commission and last week they uh, uh, voted to grant subpoena power uh, to go after her and force her to comply with, with their request for information. Like, uh, she is the gift that keeps on giving, but it's not a gift that I'd ever want to find under my Christmas tree. <laughs> well, any discussion where you can bring in Mike Lindell is a good one. Michelle, <laughs> where do you see this going? You know, is there actually a body of government that is not investigating Tina Peters at this point? <laughs> I mean, honestly. Um, you know, I agree with Marianne, you know, law of holes, rule of holes, stop digging. Um, you know, um, I was willing to keep an open mind about this. Um, you know, okay, let, let's see the data. Let's 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 see it. Nobody has ever been able to provide any kind of conclusive data um, that the election was stolen. Um, and so, you know, I want to talk a minute about trust in institutions. And I think things like this really erode our trust in institutions, um, and it, it's bad for our society. Um, you know, it's things like this. You know shady deals, nepotism, whatever it is, um, it's critical to hold people who violate the public trust accountable. And um, I'm not sure that um, we always do that. Um, you know, per Gallup, uh, just 22% of Americans think the government um, will do the right thing most of the time. That is a an all-time low since the survey started in 1958. Um, and like I said, I just think this is bad for democracy or the republic. <laughs> Denise. Tina, Pop, uh, Tina Peters, 
menace, savior to democracy? Where do you see her? <laughs> well, an absolute menace. Um, and I think everybody has pretty much said all there is to say. This is an individual um, that is, I think, deliberately trying to to uh, diminish people's trust in the system. So if she were to lose for her race for Secretary of State, she can she can cry foul and she can cry that the system is rigged and it was rigged against her. I think that's exactly the playbook um, that uh, Trump has been using and relying on and, and she's taking her playbook uh, right from there. And it's disgraceful and, you know, everybody has said and Bianca was mentioning, look, she wants to be the Secretary of State, the holder of all Colorado elections. That is a job that requires a high level of integrity. I mean, they all do, but come on. This is a statewide elected office. You're in charge of elections, and yet you're doing this kind of crap. Well, we have a little more time, so let's go around again. What do you think the odds are, Marianne, that she comes out as the winner in the Republican primary? I think I think the odds are very, very much in her favor. She's um, she's she's got name recognition among the base that uh, the other candidates, Pam Anderson being the probably the, the number two on, on in that race, uh, can only dream of. And and Pam ha Pam has integrity. Um, I I think she would. Uh, if, if this weren't about relitigating 2020 and Tina Peters' uh, efforts to do that, um, I, th I think Pam would be a, a very good choice for the Republican Party. Uh, frankly, I don't see her getting past Tina Peters on this. And could Tina Peters beat Gina Griswold, Michelle? No, but um, no, she could not. Um, I do. I really do hold out hope that um, cooler heads will prevail and that Pam Anderson will beat her in the primary. I think Pam Anderson actually, out of the three, if you the three candidates, Jenna Griswold, uh, Tina Peters. Um, I think she's the most qualified. I think she'd do an excellent job. Um, but yeah, you know, you know, you're right. In primaries, what what primaries are really about is name recognition. So come next November, who is going to be the Secretary of State? <laughs> well, I think what changes the equation for Tina Peters is unaffiliated voters being permitted to um, to vote in the Republican primary. And I think those that group of folks is definitely going to be a Pam Anderson. And so I think it's going to be a Pam Anderson-Jenna Griswold election in, in November. And honestly, I think they're both good candidates. Well, that's fun. Bianca, do you agree that's who we'll see in November? Yeah, I do. And But we can't discount that uh, Tina's uh, district really is, what, 66 percent in favor of Trump. So she definitely has um, a, a base that's following her. Well, we will be talking about this many more times. But now it's time to get on to our favorite time, Disgrace of the Week. Marianne, I'm sure you've got one. Oh, I, I, I debated about where I wanted to go with this, whether it was Fox News or just Tucker Carlson. I think we'll stick with Tucker Carlson, who took the great replacement theory out of the dark vestiges of the Internet and with the white supremacy <laughs> movement and gave it a happy home on more than 400 of his shows. Oh, thank you. Michelle. So I'm going to go with the um, disinformation board. I know that it was disbanded this week, but, um, you know, the only reason they're shutting it down is because people freaked out. The Biden administration is shutting it down because people freaked out. 1984 was meant to be a cautionary tale, not a guide. Um, but I maintain, who's fact-checking the fact-checkers, right? Um, there's a swath of the American po uh, population that will never trust the media again after the Hunter Biden um, scandal um, and the Hunter Biden uh, thing was uh, suppressed. Denise, your disgrace? Uh, well, I, earlier this week, uh, the Governor Polis was interviewed on Colorado Public Radio, and I found it really disappointing that the governor could not unequivocally uh, say that he would support 
a initiative that would rid of the constitutional ban on access to abortion. I found that extremely disappointing. And Bianca. Well, it's definitely going to be, for me, the violence of this weekend um, due to a radicalized 18-year-old white supremacist, um, probably that followed Tucker Carlson, um, as it relates to the replacement theory, who decided to take aim at African-Americans in the Bronx. So I'm sending love and, and healing to my fellow and black people all across this country, and especially in Colorado. Definitely a sad, sad chapter and a disgraceful week. But certainly you have something nice to say, too, Marianne. Uh, a, a congratulations, although they, they probably aren't real happy about it, to Lamar High School, who yesterday finally decided to drop the word savage from and any vestiges of that imagery from their high school mascot. This has been a long fight, and they were the last holdouts on this, and facing... Um, fines and other problems with the Colorado Commission on Indian Affairs, the school board voted to drop the word savage. They will now be known as the uh, Lamar Thunder, and their mascot is a bison. Better than the Lamar Dust Bowl, which is what it sounds like out there yeah. right now. <laughs> Michelle, what's your say something nice? You know, tomorrow is Armed Forces Day. Next weekend is Memorial Day. Just wanted to thank all of the... Um, we, Colorado has an amazing amount of veterans and military personnel, so really wanted to thank them for their service, their families, for their sacrifice, and, you know, God bless them. Thanks. Very nice. Denise. Uh, staying consistent, uh, or at least staying on the same topic, last weekend we saw a bunch of individuals gather together in rallies and in protests all over the state of Colorado and, frankly, all over the country, saying, my body, my choice, being very supportive of abortion access and abortion rights. Cheer them on. And Bianca. Well, I'm actually happy to go to the movies under the stars again at Red Rocks. So I'm happy to see that. I'm happy to be able to participate in that. But also I want to say participate in the primaries. Absolutely. And those Film at Red Rocks tickets went on sale today, so yeah. if you haven't bought them, hurry up. So thank you so much for watching. I'm going to say something nice about the crew who puts up with us every week at Colorado Inside Out, and especially say something nice about all the people who continue to watch this show. It's been going for 30 years. I've been on since the beginning when I was I was going to say a baby, but not quite. But we've all learned a lot. We've so enjoyed being able to come into your home every Friday night and talk about discussions that really, issues that really mean something to the people in Colorado. And while we may disagree on a lot of those issues, and usually do, we're able to sit civilly around the table and you are able to enjoy and discuss what we're talking about. So thank you for watching Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at PBS 12, I'm Patty Calhoun. Thanks. Thank you.